This podcast is produced and managed by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab, Australia's independent video and podcast company. We do the podcasting hard bits so you don't have to. We make podcasts easy. Book a call at www.kangaroofern.com. www.kangaroofern.com. This podcast is produced and managed by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab, Australia's independent video and podcast company. We do the podcasting hard bits so you don't have to. We make podcasts easy. Book a call at www.kangaroofern.com. www.kangaroofern.com. A Gorilla Podcast Syndicate Production. Usapang CQ is a weekly talk show about the life of OFWs during the time of pandemic. Veteran foreign affairs journalist turned financial advisor Malu Talosig Bartolome talks to OFWs themselves and migration specialists to check out what's the current situation of OFWs, how the COVID-19 is affecting their livelihood, understanding the environment they are in, and how they can move forward despite the lingering uncertainty. Usapang CQ with Malu Talosig Bartolome. My first Facebook live in this page, Facebook page coach Mandubar Talamay. May I see? Sino po yung mga nandito na? Ah, a special mention ko si Ambassador Gary Domingo from New Zealand. Thank you po. And sige, comment section mo na mga friends. Sino sino? Where are you coming from? Please type in the comment section in the box, chat box, comment box. Meron po yung comment box. Okay, we have Dennis Alipio from Ilocos Norte. Kumusta wow. dyan? Wow! Jota Losig, sister from Cavite. And Lylen Saspa, may another sister from Cavite. Ako na lang, good PM po watching from Riyadh. Oh my God! I'm so excited. And Leica Fajardo, my sister. Oh, diba? Oh, diba? We're live. And... We are so privileged to have in our first Facebook Live. Uh, this guy I just met and I'm so enamored by his uh, credentials. And just ko, naloka ako, di ba? He's so young. And naloka naman ako, di ba? Ako ma-jonda-jonda na. Pero hindi ganyan ang credentials ko. And by the way, um, just for those who just tuned in live, uh, how many of you here are so excited? Oh my God! Chat in. Meron po tayo in chat box. Lagay niyo po ang yung comment section. And those who are sharing, those who are sharing my page, thank you very much po sa mga nagshare. Thank you po. Okay. Ah, uh, sino pa po yan yung mga nagko-comment? Ah, and how many of you here feel that ah uh, walak po kayo ng nakikitang mga balita tungkol sa Middle East, mga OFW sa Middle East? Yan. At yung mga iba po ba dyan, wala, hindi ba kayo interesado? Siguro hindi na kayo dapat nandito sa page. <laughs> De, pero join us here. 
Uh, welcome to my Facebook Live. I'm Maduta Losig Bartolome, a financial advisor and a certified investment advisor of Full Life UK. It's a British insurer, but we're based here in the Philippines. And this is Usapang CQ, COVID in the Middle East. All right, very good. Hi, 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 hi. In the next 45 minutes. Okay. You're you're seeing now uh Froilan, Froilan Malit. Uh can we hear from you, Froilan? Uh, yes, oh, yeah, I can hear you well. Yeah. Thanks for accepting my invitation. It's a pleasure, Paul. Maraming salamat po. Okay. So in the next 45 minutes of this Facebook Live, we'll just tackle three things, right? So what number one is what is the general situation of COVID-19 pandemic in the Middle East? Can you share that to us, Froilan? Huh? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And then, how is the pandemic affecting our OFWs? Yeah, yung mga importante po sa mga OFWs natin. And what can our OFWs, their families here in the Philippines and the Philippine government perhaps, perhaps those who are watching us, should do or should expect in the next months to come? Kasi hindi naman to natapos lang, di ba? Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So before we start with our webinar, can I just uh, uh, share to you um, about myself? Okay, I'm Malu Talosig Bartolome. I'm 25 years in the media industry, and uh, I just recently joined financial uh, the financial world, uh, which is uh, Pro Life UK as a financial advisor. Because medyo feeling ko uh, I, I, I um parang gusto ko magkaroon na ng or sa mga sa family ko although my passion is really on the news so right now parang feeling ko uh i can do both i can wear two hats okay at the same time so i have i still have my uh friends who are from the media industry i still have friends from the uh, media sector and from other industries who may be also interested to join us in our facebook live and this is just an offering for those who feel na they need something to know about the Middle East, uh, no, the Middle East region. Uh, so before, um, so can can we just start with um, Froilan? Froilan, yeah. Uh, can I uh, introduce to you first our guest, our guest speaker, Froilan? Oh, Froilan Malit, tama? Malit ba? Tama Froilan? Malit. Ah, uh, Malit po, Malit. Ah, Malit. Yeah. Malit is a Gulf Migration Specialist at the Gulf Labor Markets and Migration and the Managing Director of Rights Corridor. It's a regional news platform and research on, migrant, on migration and rights issues. So over the past years, Froilan has worked and lived across the Gulf region. He's now based in where? Dubai? Dubai ba, Froy? Uh, so UK and Dubai. Okay, so he's traveling uh, both UK and Dubai. And yes, uh, he's working as technical migration consultant for a number of regional international organizations like Abu Dhabi Dialogue, ILO, IOM. He's also an advisory committee member of the ILO Regional Office for Arab States Migration Advisory Group and the Center for Global Development's Global Mobility Project. My God, my God, grabe. And my book din siya, he's recently co-authored a book called Recent Migrations and Refugees in the MENA Region. All right. So, and before that, he holds a degree from Cornell University, University of Oxford, and a migration certificate from the U European University Institute. Diba? He's currently studying international relations in the Department of Politics and International Studies at the University of Cambridge. Okay. 
But before that, ano, um, sige, without further ado, let us just give a round of applause to our guests. Froylan, Mali. <laughs> Thank you, Froylan. Um, bago yung mga napaka napaka-impressive na resume na binasa ko, napagod ako doon. Ah. <laughs> uh, can you tell us um, about yourself first? Um, you are uh, an OFW, an anak ng OFW, tama ba? Yes, po. Yeah. Um, can you share us your story? Well, una po sa lahat, uh, maraming salamat po sa mga viewers and I'm really happy na I've been given this platform to discuss yung migration issues in the Middle East and how will it impact yung mga kababayan po natin at yung gobyerno natin and how in theory they should you know, react and respond lalo sa mga um, pangailangan ng mga OFWs ngayon, be it yung repatriation or yung mga short-term economic assistance na kailangan natin ngayon uh, para ma-address yung mga problema po nila. And uh, yes po, um, uh, anak po ako ng OFW rin. So yung, my life story is a bit, uh, I think it's, it's a reflection of the the narrative of global migration for many uh, Filipinos. Uh, yung father ko po, he, well, we're from Pampanga po, and he moved from Pampanga uh, to work uh, as a loader operator. Initially, he was a farmer, and he became a loader operator po, and he worked mostly sa Visayas and Mindanao region. And uh, he completed po mostly um, hanggang, I think, first year high school po. <clears throat> but he, he worked very hard, you know, uh, to help his family uh, sustain my needs, namin. But he was mostly not around. Uh, and uh, mother, po, he well, she she migrated in 1989 to America, uh, mostly uh, San Francisco. Uh, but we lost touch for uh, almost 15 years. So, like nine million uh, children left behind in the Philippines. Uh, I was part of that uh, narrative. And that part of statistic and um and i think in upbringing ko, uh, as a child i think i've uh i learned to understood yung uh effect ng migration mga bata. and but i had um, a very uh, good uh childhood experience of growing up so for example uh i, I grew up sa lola ko and uh and like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. I depended a lot for Lola and I've learned a lot and she taught me a lot of uh, skills, mostly my survival skills that even up to this date, I, I still use no? to survive in my universities or even in my work in the Middle East. And it was a broken home, um, yet um, I learned to appreciate it. Uh, it's a collective uh, sacrifice that both of my parents that uh, really drive me, uh, even up to this day, uh, to address my issues. So I think the experience of Naputo, I think it really triggered me uh, to pursue migration again. Uh, it's a part of me, and it's something that I'd like to discuss even more. Um, Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that part of your life to us. It made you who you really are right now. That's why you're so passionate about migration, yes. diba? Yes. Pero tell us, paano yung struggle mo? Nag-Ivy League ka nga, pero talaga bang mm. 
or bed of roses ba? Sabi mo kasi OFW si mami. So it's very difficult for I think when I got accepted uh, uh, sa Cornell University, uh, my mother basically said no, uh, we, we can't afford it. Uh, we can't sell you home, home not there. Uh, you have four other siblings and you have to think collectively. And I remember getting you an acceptance letter na yon, and I was crying not because I was you know, um, super happy. So I was crying because nasa kamay ko na, yet um, 50-50 chances na uh, papasok ako. And, uh, but I still defied yung mga expectations. I mean, I went there and I asked in the financial department ng Cornell University to help me. And uh, I didn't have money and uh, I had to take out a lot of loans uh, to survive just like many other Filipinos or Filipino-Americans. And uh, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to pursue for because for a number of years, uh, roughly 10, 11 years, uh, I was picking a lot of flowers, uh, I think that childhood experience working from 2 a.m. and 6.30 a.m. Um, we had to pick them and sell them to the market. So that 10, 11 years of training uh, really shaped my formative years, my intellectual years, or even yung uh, practical understanding of labor relations and migration. I think in my experiences that already um, helped me choose in career path not over time. It, it wasn't obvious, no no una, but I think as I progressed and reflected upon these experiences, uh, it helped me decide you uh, path na yon. So it was a no-brainer to choose it on area na to. Uh, the moment I started expanding and thinking go about immigration and the moment I had the chance to read books and uh, specialize in some area. So I really chose this path because uh, it's not only part of my uh, uh, family history, po, but to drive good end uh, to contribute to policy making and uh, rights and development for the mga kababayan po natin, less specifically for the Middle East. Yeah. Oh, okay. Napaka maalala mo kaya yan, dear Charo. <laughs> but how did you, bakit naman of all the, um, Specialization, why migration? Why migration? I think, uh, I think, I think, I initial exposure ko sa, uh, childhood experience ko, I think, that really, that's a big part, no? Uh, but at the same time, if you look uh, more closely, uh, migration powers a lot of uh, uh, countries' economies uh, and families, uh, it brings in family stability and uh, it enables people to uh, realize your full potential in life, you know, if given the opportunity to migrate. And I believe in that. No, I believe in part that people should be given the opportunity to migrate so they could maximize your God-given potential. And uh, I, I chose this path to go more specifically when I've seen a lot of uh, uh, legal vulnerabilities that a lot of OFWs face in the Middle East. And I think I, I looked at closely among different uh, legal cases, yung mga deaths and murders, etc. Siguro yung mga cases natin, mga kababayan po natin and other nationalities, uh, it helped me zoom in talaga yung aspect of migration at saka yung link na sa human rights, labor rights and development and the role of nation states in terms of protecting yung welfare ng mga uh, nationals natin. And even up to this point, actually, especially ngayon po, into COVID-19, 
the role of government um, is, is becoming more, uh, more crucial uh, and more necessary in because a lot of OFWs and migrant workers are put in a very precarious uh, situation Mayon, that need uh, major uh, attention. And siguro yung pagpipili ko talaga ng migration, human rights, labor rights development, I think it really, um, it, it came from my exposure to a lot of uh, rights-related issues and experiences that I'm actually growing up. So, and why Middle East? Uh, well, it's the biggest employer for, for a lot of OFWs. So it's 2.3 million yung mga legal uh, OFWs. Kung ikakaw mo rin yung mga uh, TNT po natin, those are actually still fighting, no? Uh, to work for the Middle East and send money uh, for a better future, uh, you could roughly say around 3 million or more. And there's a lot actually who are struggling and a lot who are uh, fighting for a chance. So I actually wanted to be part of that. Role. And reading your work, um, academic publications, policy publications, or even your technical uh, consulting work that I've done, it really focused a lot on limiting your vulnerability, uh, more on identifying issues, raising rights discourses that are very, very uh, relevant ngayon, and even before pa. Because um, the policy system is quite restrictive and it's very challenging for sending countries like the Philippines to assert in rights nila because the sovereignty issues that you see and yung limitasyon ng ating mga uh, diplomats in terms of asserting in rights, you know, can only go so much here. And so um, I think that's in part why it picks specifically yung migration to Middle East and in part. Uh, so, how ka nakatagal sa, sa UAE? Oh, I, I, siguro, I've been here siguro for almost uh, nearly 10 years. Uh, 10 years? Wow. Yes, um, initially I was in uh, Latin America. So I was in uh, I was specializing on comparative labor movements. So I role of trade unions and migration in Nicaragua, sa Mexico, and Costa Rica. So during the first year and second year at Cornell University, uh, we were uh, encouraged to do a lot of internships abroad. And siguro there was that one moment where I asked myself, okay, bakit nandito ako sa Latin America, right? Um, I should have been working or pursuing things related to Philippine affairs. And I think I had just one moment on, and I said, I think I need to rethink and re-strategize. So that's when I decided to move both to Middle East. And thank God for I met uh, you mga, um, uh, very uh, important people that actually led me to do this. So for example, I want to thank the si attorney uh, Froyland Bakungan, he's also Froyland, no? Uh, the young former dean of UP Diliman Law School. So he introduced me to uh, Professor Rene Ofrenea ng School of Industrial and Labor Relations. Uh, they helped me get in touch with Ambassador Crescente Relacion, no? So I owe a big deal for uh, uh, former ambassador natin sa Qatar. So he helped me. Um, uh, you know, he hosted Yumpuin Research Call. And initially I struggled a bit. Uh, but he actually helped me a lot in terms of uh, understanding mga issues and even uh, accessing yung mga Filipino stakeholders ko, uh, para sa studies ko. And I think I fell in love with the region a little bit more um, as I've stayed. And so from then on, I um, 
nagmumpo ako sa UAE and then I had a chance to work kay Ambassador Princess Relation sa Abu Dhabi. So I worked sa ating, uh, I, I interned sa DFA uh, for more than two years po. So I looked at uh, migration policy issues, lalo na mga uh, laws that, that make OFWs vulnerable, no? Specifically mga kasambahay po. And mula po doon, I worked with a number of local and regional universities dito for Guyana, Dubai School of Government, you know, American University of Sharjah, and ran a lot of um, uh, lecture series sa Lebanon, sa Kuwait, um, and even sa, sa UAE po. Um, for example, in sa American University of Sharjah, tsaka yung Wyatt University. So, so yung pag-move ko po sa region na to, I mean, yung 10 years na to, it, it, pure hard work. Um, and I think I, I was challenged a bit kasi yung age ko. Um, and I think sa mga questions, so I've seen yung mga challenges that I face as an OFW. Um, siguro po, yung market is very racialized, no? I think you can clearly see yung how yung race mo affects yung uh, wages or yung even yung economic opportunities mo. So here, you can clearly see yung mga Western expatriates and then locals and investing expatriates Europeans, uh, Asians, and even Asians, maybe you see in hierarchy, and then you mga Filipinos, Indians, etc. So, yung citizenship more uh, is directly tied to uh, the wage scale, which is the Middle East. And, uh, and probably, uh, just, yes. just to cut you, I'm sorry, yeah. Just to sure, cut yeah, you, yeah. yung ano, a lot of people here kasi think pag OFW mm -hmm. na paka isang ano lang yan. Right. OFW, OFW, di ba? So, ano yung mm -hmm. difference? Dyan, syempre, iba yung OFW sa Middle East, iba mm -hmm. OFW mm -hmm. sa Europe, iba OFW mm -hmm. sa, uh, sa US. Pero, within the U Middle East, may iba-iba rin level. So, yung na-encounter mo dyan sa, dyan sa UAE, for example, ano yung, yan nga, kanakwento mo, yung iba-ibang iba -ibang spectrum, dyan, income disparity ba yan? Or, mm -hmm. or more on yung exposure nila sa let me put it in, in, in this context now the difference between yung Gulf labor markets between European or American uh, or Australian or Canadian labor markets uh, Gulf markets well, it's an open market no well quotas so people can actually come in and out in the guys America with very restrictive yung point space right so dito uh, cap in terms of or 25% lang, including mga foreigners sa isang sector, etc. Pero sa mga European markets, sa America, meron silang cap, right? So it's very restrictive at this point in time. Ngayon po sa Middle East, yung, if you look closely, since it's an open market, kaya madali siyang pasukan po ang mga OFWs natin, mga kababayan natin, at ibang nationalities. It's an open market, and if you look closely, you can clearly see yung income disparity linked sa citizenship ng isang tao. And, and you can see a lot of uh, discontent among uh, skilled OFWs, mga nurses, engineers, architects. The skilled sector, sector na to, you can clearly see yung, yung wage disparities. So even if you're doing the same work, iba yung sahod nyo, kasi nga, yung HR pay scale right, is very different. Um, so human resource departments looked at yung, where you get, you, you receive yung degree mo, um, yung passport mo, and experiences more, etc. And 
yung mga OFWs na matagal na dito, they really feel yung degree of discrimination na yun. I think yung part na they, they feel that discontent, no? And and I think... Sorry, uh, ano yung, uh, dis- sorry, ano, Froyland, discrimination <laughs> kanino? I think in terms of yung uh, wages nila, right? Discrimination in, in terms of how they get treated. Kasi nga, it depends on kung sino nakaupo sa mga HR departments, right? So for example, if I'm Arab, right? I'm more likely to treat among Arabs, you know, uh, differently. But if you look at mga, let me take the labor law nila. So among labor law nila, there's a degree of prioritization, right? So they prioritize among locals, and then expats, and then Arabs, right? So even then, among pay scales, among documents that are not published, but I've seen a few of these, you know, documents where among HR manuals among departments, big companies or even small and medium companies, so they create among pay scales at all. And in, uh, in turn, over time, yung, you know, cultural norms, the labor market, um, uh, has really shaped the way employers even structure among wages. I think it's a skilled sector, right? Oh. So some of Filipinos, uh, they attempt to study here at the Gulf-based foreign university so they can equalize some opportunity. Or some of them would study in the UK, in America, para pumalik sila dito and they could maximize themselves nila. So they cope in different ways, but I think for the most part, they still prefer to work here. Because um, uh, it depends on restrictiveness of Western market there, but many actually do stay and a few actually leave. But in the nursing sector, it's a bit different, no? So it's really a chance of space for a lot of uh, Filipino nurses. So. so they trained here for a number of years and then they migrate to the West. U.S. etc. Uh, partly because of you access citizenship, they don't offer citizenship. Very restrictive, no. Either magasabukadito and mga locals, or you've done something exceptional the Gulf country, so you can actually get your citizenship. This is for the skilled market, no. So just to recap, you on it. So nurse thing, they're really bound to travel outside. It's a transit space while living in the Gulf, but parang transit sector, lang yung Middle East for nurses. Yes. yes. And then the uh-huh. skilled, the unskilled, sort of the low skilled and medium skilled, uh, it becomes even more competitive, no? Because uh, you have other countries, um, Southeast Asia, South, especially South Asia. So 90% of the population in the Gulf countries are actually from South Asia, um, among unskilled workers. So construction, hospitality, uh, manufacturing, uh, domestic work, and it's it, uh, it's uh, it's very very different. Uh, so it's slightly lower. So sa mga kasambahay, um, uh, it's roughly 400. So kasi po dito, uh, two years ago, wala silang minimum wage laws, right, right? right? So a lot of sending countries like the Philippines, they have to establish yung mga legal norms at all on how to set yung mga minimum wages. Because we do have mature, developed labor law system, but actually they don't, right? Uh, iba yung, you know, uh, philosophy in the last labor market is actually uh, free market system. So they don't really do that because they really protect the private sector so they can produce more jobs, etc. So, so um, yung, it's usually a big tension for the things are wage setting because it's an issue of uh, sovereignty and sending countries cannot really impose that. So it, it's, it becomes very tough for the things about bilateral agreements. I think Philippines uh, has done a lot of uh, aggressive, you know, diplomatic 
uh, assertions uh, para ma-protect tayo mga kasambahan. And I think the good thing is nasundan yan ng mga ibang spending countries like Ethiopia, Indonesia. So the Philippines to an extent is pioneering no? yung wage settings in the Middle East. Uh, now, sa ibang sectors, it's a bit different no? pagdating sa, uh, sa labor market. Uh, yung sa security, mga nag-work sa mga security, uh, cleaners, manufacturing, mga hospitality. So you can clearly see an intense competition between mga Arab nationals, Asians, when I say Asians, mga South Asians from India, Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh. And sa construction, it's mostly um, Indians and Pakistanis. Uh, Nepalese and Bangladesh simple. So very much ano, ito yung nagiging ano, uh, real uh, diplomatic and legal issues for a lot of sending countries. Kasi yung kafala system, yung restrictive nature niya. Uh, when I say restrictive nature niya, meaning yung ability ng employer to control yung movement, right? Yung pag-change ng employer, uh, ng isang worker. Uh, I think that create, created a lot of issue from the things uh, rights uh, in human, but in labor rights ng, ng mga kababayan po natin dito. So, paano ito ngayon dahil sa pandemic, ano nang kalagay ng mga OFWs natin dyan? So, yung pong, so I think if you look at yung pre-COVID situation for Gulf countries, um, medyo challenging na yung situation now na, ng mga OFWs po. It's been a very difficult uh, uh, for them in terms of yung salaries, uh, working in living conditions. It, it's a tough market for Gulf countries. Now, with, with COVID, um, mas lalong nahihirapan talaga yung mga kababayan natin. Um, lalo na sa mga rights nila. So for example, if you look at yung mga labor uh, reforms over the past uh, a month and a half dito, you can clearly see a lot of Gulf countries are protecting first yung rights ng mga employers. So, so UAE, for example, uh, yung Ministry of Human Resource and Emeritization, it allowed employers to restructure yung contracts and even yung wage scales uh, ng mga workers, including OFWs. So it means uh, employers can change in contracts from full-time to part-time. Yung salary mo, it is changed then kasi nga um, not all workers will be allowed to work inside the mga uh, premises ng company, only 30% lang yung pwede. And so, sandali, um, this is for construction workers? No, this is actually for the entire country, so UAE. And they had to do that kasi nga... So, um, they are legally allowed to, to change contract? Yeah, so they revised yung labor law nila in 1980 para uh-huh. mag-fit yung market reality ngayon. So, you have to be, kasi nga, sa COVID na to, you have to make sure you are flexible, right? So, uh, a country more and you write an employer and write some worker. It's a very you know tough time for industry then because yeah you need to make because they win. No so that's across the board, Froilan. It's not just one just one sector. It's just across the board. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. That's specific for UAE, but if you look at more broadly for Gulf countries, uh, in Guinea is. Uh, once they pass yung domestic containment measures, shut down lahat ng mga industries, right? Hospitality, etc. And then the shutdown shot, the first thing that the Gulf countries did is to inject uh, economic stimulus funds. So that's $170.3 billion. Uh, but yung stimulus package na yon, it really focused up uh, sa mga local workers nila. So meaning Gulf countries will pay yung salaries sa mga uh, local workers, mga Kuwaitis, Bahrainis, Saudis. 
para hindi sila ma-terminate sa work or uh, these companies will also sorry, y- yung mga economic stimulus funds at all will pay mga company just to make sure na stable right yung number of local populations nila dito so yung tinatawag nilang localization yung nationalization policies they try to maintain John no uh, both the public sector and private sector so yung nangyari yung focus ng Gulf countries is mostly sa mga industries nila and local except sa Qatar kasi what Qatar did um, they created a specific fund uh, for employers who are struggling to finance uh, yung mga settlement issues nila sa mga workers nila so for example marami kasing work, employers sa Middle East they they're struggling to actually pay yung mga unpaid wages nila pati yung mga gratuity end of service kasi nga they're out of cash flow so yung Qatari government what they did is they created a specific fund zero interest rate So employers can actually borrow money, no, and pay. Para at least mga workers, if they choose to repatriate themselves, uh, they have the option because they have the money uh, to do that. So iba-iba yung naging responses, no. So you, there are cases where uh, Gulf countries have decided to finance the mga tickets, no, mga um, migrant workers, specifically uh-huh. yung mga walang papel, no. I'll, I'll give you very quick example. Kuwait, diba? Kuwait. That's oh, exactly yeah. what Kuwait did, uh-huh. right? So, yung <coughs> yung focus lies mostly yung mga undocumented workers kasi yung COVID it created a lot of public health risks, right? And normally yung public health risks so it's much, it's very um strong sa mga uh, hidden population no, yung mga undocumented workers. So yung fear nila uh, kung marami mga undocumented workers sa mga high risk migrant industrial camps or accommodation spaces yung propensity ng virus to spread it's much faster no so yung ginawa nila okay but that's let's also parang this. discrimination bakit puro migrant yes, diba? i think it's i think it's a double edged sword you can look at it that way so kanila it's a protection measure um so just like here we're just selling na oh, may dala ng covid mga chinese <laughs> oh absolutely i think i i think yung 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 argument yung flip argument nila so sa gulf side yung argument nila would be Let's reduce the population because a high migration share of, you know, migrants uh, produce, um, you know, high risks for public health risks, security risks, etc. So the flip side of the argument, na yun, um, so side natin, yung discrimination na, as you mentioned, plus the social protection because there is an argument that, well, these people had spent decades building the Gulf countries. They produce yung soft and hard infrastructure, right? Yung mga buildings, mga tunnels, etc., etc. And all of a sudden, pinaalis mo sila, right? Without ensuring yung proper uh, social protection sa kanila, or without even ensuring na nagtesting sila. So in the Gulf countries, UAE lang yung country na nagbibigay ng on-site pre-departure COVID testing, right? Because that's a big part. Um, not all Gulf countries actually do that, so. So you can clearly see you know, yung duality ng approach ng Gulf countries. So yung goal nila is protecting market, protecting locals, and it shifts yung responsibilities among standing countries. So this becomes a very, very difficult uh, challenge sa gobyerno natin kasi for a long time, we benefited from uh, remittances, 35 billion last year among OFWs. Now all of a sudden we so are... What's, the, what's our data on remittances for no? Middle East? Right, but let me let me finish the point. We are oh, sorry, responsible okay. to repatriate them, right? And now, you know, the government has to balance 
yung population natin. So we have 100 million Filipinas plus yung 10 plus million uh, OFWs and dual citizens sa labas ng uh, Pilipinas. So it's a big challenge, no? And sabi ko nga, it's mga fast shows because the right corridor. I mean, who is prepared, right? And I think na checkmate tayo kasi if you look at crisis that would survive, right? Sa Libya in 2014, sa Iraq in 2003, sa Lebanon 1990s, sa Kuwait noong 93-94. I mean, those crises occurred within national or regional context. It, they didn't occur on a global context, right? Where we have to deal with the local population natin, plus yung dito. Kaya yung rhetoric ng bansa natin, ng gobyerno natin as a protector, a leading protector among sending states, um, it's a big role, it's a big status and image, no? Um, and a big challenge uh, sa gobyerno natin. And I'm not sure if we could sustain that given yung uh, low fiscal budget natin ngayon. Uh, so, eh, do you have any idea? Sino yung mga pwedeng... Uwi na ba? Uwi na ba yung mga OFWs natin from the Middle East? So if you look at yung current approaches ng ating mga diplomatic missions, no? specifically yung uh, embassies and consulates, so they do prioritize ngayon, yung mga most vulnerable. So dito po sa Dubai, sa, um, sa consul, consulate general po natin dito sa Dubai, si uh, consul general uh, Paul Cortez, uh, yung function po nila, they focus more on yung mga most vulnerable ones. For example, yung mga buntis, uh, now, OFWs, mga senior citizens, yung mga may, uh, may mga anak, or yung mga OFWs with uh, pre-existing health conditions. So they prioritize yung mga ganun classing cases, or yung mga walang papel. And there's actually a specific fund uh, sa TFA, no? Because uh, it's pandemic, and part to nang uh, mandate nila, yung one of the pillars of foreign policy. So yung ginagawa ngayon po is pinaprioritize yung uh, population at all, and siling na uuna ngayon. So, for example, sa UAE, noong nilabas yung repatriation uh, uh, proposal ng UAE government, so yung idea is all FWs would go to their consulates and embassies and they would register, right? Um, and demand repatriation. Yun yung ginawa ng UAE. Like a, right, can, can, can I just get right. back? Um, sure. back backtrack a little. Yung, you were saying that UAE may plan na ngayon to repatriate uh, expats. Oh, it's ba? been there. Uh, it's been there for um, a few weeks now. So they gave you Yung mga expats to na nawala ng trabaho. Yes, all expats, right? So dalawa okay. yung repatriation methods na ginagamit nila. Una, sa mga um, sa mga stranded na tourist visa, visas, right? So, kapag na kapag ka ng COVID from March 1, right? March 1 onwards, let's say, dumating ka dito ng March 3, at nandito ka at nag-lockdown, close yung mga airplanes, yung mga flights, for example, you can actually stay ang gang December, right? Eh, ang daming mga uh, kababayan po nating mga visa-visa. So, that's actually a good thing. So, they could stay and look for work. But the problem is, Disrupted, disrupted the work. I mean, there's really no work. They are no very challenging, work. very competitive then, right? So, yun yung right. unang option nila. So, they can actually stay here, right? So, yun yung unang uh, incentive uh, for those actually who've been caught sa COVID na to. Now, yung mga legal, mga legal uh, OFWs, uh, if they want to take yung annual leave nila in advance, unpaid annual leave, they can actually go home. Uh, hindi naman yung detected sa ano nila. Um, 
sa sahod nila. It's basically, basically yung goal niya is to reduce yung population, right? Kasi nga, if you, I think yung, yung point nila is uh, low population share uh, could create, you know, low potential risk. So yun yung logic nila. Uh, so yung ginawa recently, I think two days ago, uh, yung ginawa ng UAE is uh, yung mga uh, OFWs or other migrant workers na undocumented na before March 1, they can actually avail yung partial amnesty within the next three months. So they can go home without paying any fines as long as they exit the country, you see. <coughs> so yung approach ng UAE and approach ng Kuwait are quite similar then, no? Yung public, they're looking at yung COVID from a public health uh, risk perspective. So kaya binamadali nila yung repatriation. And they give incentives sa mga undocumented yung mga TNT para mag-report sila at mailabas na rin ng bansa. So that's what they're trying to do. And so there's a lot of right issues done. My dear. Huh? Who's paying for the repatriation ng mga undocumented? So it depends. So sa case, sa case ng Kuwait, the government um, uh, paid the tickets na yan, right? Yeah. The Emir, right? Part yeah. of the humanitarian initiative. Sa UAE naman, in theory, yung employer yung dapat ah, mabayad, right? Okay. In theory. And that's actually a big challenge, lalo na sa mga uh, offices po natin. So I know you see yung ating labor attache, si uh, I mean, she works pretty hard. <laughs> and it's a big challenge. Because if they're undocumented, you know, how can you how can you ask the employer to take responsibility? No, even undocumented. I think that becomes an ATN case, no? So DFA na yon. And it's not dole. So iba yung function nila. So in this case, sa sa case po ni ng ating labor attaché dito yung focus niya si Labad Pai uh, yung to mediate to actually help workers uh, obtain yung mga settlement nila para makuha nila yung mga payments para at least end of service para at least makabili sila ng ticket now kapag undocumented sila yung mga kasambahay po uh, at the ATN case and depending sa case kasi they also prioritize they look at yung cases kung uh, covered ba na, pwede ba nilang makover yung ticket ng isang uh, OFW o hindi. So, hindi lahat magbibigyan ng free ticket. It depends then um, sa kaso nila. So, <clears throat> yung, I think yung nakikita natin dito is yung, yung approach ngayon ng Gulf countries to reduce yung population, pushing them out. Kaya, lumalabas yung mga rights issues ngayon. And it becomes a big, you know, yun, uh, challenge for the Philippine government kasi nga, Anong pag, let's say, na-repatriate mga OFWs and so what happens sa kanila sa Pilipinas? It's not uh-huh. like before where OFWs can go to other countries like Kuwait, uh, Bahrain, Singapore. Ngayon hindi kasi close lahat yung markets. And I do remember yung discussion sa Senate where uh, Senator Poe basically asking whether they could accommodate, you know, 400 OFWs. I mean, OFWs po dito sa Middle East, they are upset. Upset, absolutely upset. Not just here, but also other parts of the world, no? Kasi po yung mga OFWs, yung sons ko, sa mga interactions ko, it's okay kung hindi mo sila tulungan eh. Yes, there's a constitutional responsibility. But, klaruhin lang sa kanila. They need clarity eh. They need facts. Like, what you can do and cannot do. Pero when you get there, yung, yung mixed signals from the central government, it, at the new expectations nila sa ating mga diplomatic missions, it creates a lot of tension, no? confusion. Lalo na, for example, yung mga 
economic relief programs that you've been seeing. Imagine in Yapuyo, 150,000, right? For land and sea base. I mean, how many OFWs here in the Middle East? 2.3. I mean, they're bound. They're bound to get mad sa ganitong classing set up. And given yung severity ng COVID, a lot of, you know, and trying no work, no pay, a lot of OFWs don't have yung funds na yun. Actually, yung focus na yun is yung rent, not even yung food. And I told one of my colleagues, yung <coughs> difficult people ng mga OFW, hindi yung magugutom or makikikaw sa mga apartments eh. Yung naging issue nila is yung kapag tumatawag yung family member nila and they right. need help. Yun yung pain na they nila. They feel powerless. <laughs> they feel... Yun yung part eh. That's, that's the hardest part of being an OFW eh. And then yung iba, meron ding mga loans, right? Kasi nga, they all came here with big dreams, you know? And this was right. their chance. Kasi nga, very accessible yung mga loans. Lalo sa mga semi-skilled and skilled. So they're able to, you know, borrow a lot of money because yeah, they have dreams for their families, dreams for themselves. They want to achieve young socioeconomic mobility, right? Yeah, they're caught with this COVID-19. And remember, for the Gulf countries, like, you cannot leave or exit the region unless you pay your debt more. So this actually is a big challenge, no? Sa mga diplomatic missions in terms of repatriating them because you cannot repatriate unless you settle your legal cases. Na ganito. So paano pag may utang, lumakalabas? No, not unless if a pardon got. So <clears throat> to answer your question, you have to look back at the historical context no? ng Gulf countries. So let's look at in 2008, in financial crisis. So most Gulf countries, they pardon yung mga debt, right? But yun din yung time na hindi bagsak gaano yung price of oil, right? right? So they still have some you know, strong sovereign wealth funds. Pero ngayon, it's very different, right? It's a different era. Um, they've been hit severely, uh, loading yung mga funds nila, sovereign wealth funds nila, OFWs and other nationalities, they have a huge debt. So it's very, very difficult. Um, so I don't know exactly for how long can they sustain it because uh, at the moment, yung cases here are growing, right? Five, 700 on average, and in some cases, a thousand. <laughs> now, yung, yung challenge feature is for Gulf countries, how do you actually protect right, your local and foreign population at the same time? Because uh, public and private hospitals are overburdened. The government is paying for that. The public hospital, not in private hospital. If cases are going up, they expand more facilities. At some point, Gulf countries would say enough is enough, right? Like we can't bear your cost, right, of protecting everyone. Because uh, down your market, shut down, for example, Kuwait. Made you partially open in Dubai, shut down in Saudi. So at some point, Gulf countries would say enough is enough, right? But at the same time, are we prepared, right, as a sending country like the Philippines? And it looks like we're not, because say even the Senate, right, and a lot of uh, government agencies that in the Philippines, they also don't know what to do. They're struggling because uh, you have a hundred million population to deal with. So it's a very complicated calculus that I think that you know people you know, need to realize. But at the same time, no? Malaki yung expectations kasi yung kinainis mo naman, oh, FWC, yung mga political statements, no? They kept saying this, yet in sa implementation, nawawala. Oh. They hate it, no? I mean, imagine yung Parang example. Parang ngayon, nahanap na nila yung pinapangakong protection for them. Right. Yun. I think what, what all FWC are saying here is like, if you want to call us modern-day heroes, 
I mean, live up to that. But at the same time, I understand you need precision and government then, kasi nga, they've been caught by this, right? Mga pero ano kaya? Siguro, mga ilang, ilang, ilang thousands ang expected na uuwi? Ganun ba yun? Uuwi dito? I think yung, 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 yung unemployment, I think, na pinroject ng government natin, I think it's around 2.3 million yata. Um, but yung unemployment, there's a lot ngayon, right? Lalo mga partially... Uh, yung mga partially ano ngayon, unemployed din. Um, marami na ngayon sa Middle East. And I think that's a big uh, risk for Gulf countries. And also big challenge sa uh, gobyerno natin. Um, how do you patriot these? Kasi nga, yung funds din, I think it's very low. And how do you prioritize? But actually, let me tell you the difference. Kasi you have to look at relative then. The Philippines relative to other countries. So sa case ng Philippines, uh, sa UAE, less than a thousand lang yung nag-request for repatriation. Remember, oh, there are Kasi wala naman silang uwian. <laughs> exactly. 800,000, right? Compared to ano mga Pakistanis and Indians. Right. So, you have to look at your relative terms. Siguro in the short run, lalaban talaga yung mga OFWs. Laban talaga. Mm-hmm. Laban talaga. They fought and they survived many crises in the past. I mean, ngayon, anong gagawin natin sa Pilipinas? I think a lot of OFWs are saying, we'd rather stay here kasi nga, if we get COVID, for example, we're likely to get better treatment here than the Philippines. At merong part-time dito, right? We could still survive somehow and actually send money. Pero sa Pilipinas, it's a lot more difficult. It's a lot more challenging. So they'd rather stay here. At saka a lot of them, alam yung, if they go home, I mean, I don't think kaya nilang umupo in front of their families na unemployed sila and nothing to give. I mean, remember, you have, yeah. you know, kids, to send to school, mga right. hospital bills to settle, etc. And yung iba, may mga utang pa. Especially yung mga OFWs na kararating lang dito, they paid a lot of money to even come here. At nawalan sila ng work all of a sudden. And now right. they're being forced to pay back yung mga recruitment, placement fees, for example, right? So how can the government actually address yung mga issues na to? I mean, at the moment, yung pinafocus talaga is yung uh, repatriation ng mga most vulnerable ones. Kaya yung Senate sa ating po, and even in <laughs> PhilHealth, for example, <laughs> I mean, a lot of OFWs are very much offended. No? They appreciate the value of the universal healthcare system. They do. It's bad timing. But they really felt that PhilHealth na talaga, yung policy na yun, it was really a gun point. Uh-huh. It's really not acceptable I mean. according to mga OFWs. And imagine nyo po ngayon, ang dami yung mga distress. Uh, suicidal. I, I know two people who tried to commit suicide. Yung isa namatay na kilala ko po. And um, yung degree of ano, uh, mental distress. And getting mental, uh, a lot of OFW's mental health conditions um, have been deteriorating because of it. Um, so y- yung question ngayon is, ano ba yung contingency plan, right, for the government? Do you want to repatriate them? That's exactly what they're doing ngayon, but not en masse. Kasi nga, close pa yung mga flights sa atin. You can see, right? Our, our government right. is also resisting, right? Kaya Gulf countries are also questioning, right? Yung constitutional responsibility ng mga gobyerno natin. Gobyerno natin. For a long time, we've been saying na, oh, we protect, you know, Gulf countries should protect, Gulf countries should protect. But all of a sudden ngayon, right? We're stepping back and we're saying, oh, maybe we need a little bit more time. And it's the same thing na nangyari din sa India, actually. Sa India, Except in Pakistan, actually, Pakistan was very, or has been very proactive in terms of repatriating mga nationals nila. But their workers paid, right? Some of them. 
but saat then of course uh, we're being questioned right you've been you know framing yourself as this and that but ngayon all of w's are saying nasa yung protection namin right Tama. so it's a really big challenge i mean I, even for senior officials who are here for example po yung, yung mga relief program ngayon a lot of OFWs are waiting for that. So, for example, thousands and thousands of applied dito, limited lang yung slots. Yet they're still waiting, no? Kaya it's a big challenge sa office kagaya ng Polo Dubai to even accommodate lahat, because they have to prioritize po yung list. And yet they're also waiting sa funding mula sa dole. So a lot of Filipinos are basically saying, "Ongoing pa ba yung dole amelioration fund?" Um, I think it's. Parang ongoing pa po yata. I mean, uh-huh. I think yung expectations mga OFWs is ongoing pa and it has to go on kasi nga po, uh-huh. they need it. And a lot of OFWs... That's $200, di ba? So right, how long will it You cannot last? even survive sa isang sa $200 na yun. Yung okay. bed space, I mean, that, that's practically yung cost nun eh. O paano pa yung food? Paano pa yung padala? I mean, yung mga OFWs, they really want to focus na yun sa bahay. You focus on the bahay, right? And some padala. And it's very difficult ngayon, lalo yung may mga anak sa Pilipinas. Again, as I said, you, the most difficult part dito is not yung paalising ka sa bahay or hindi ka ko na kumain ng three times a day. It's yung pagtumawag sila and there's nothing you can do about it kasi ikaw yung breadwinner, eh, right? And I hope sa Senado, they will realize yun, no? Um, siguro, I, I do agree sa kanila na, yes, it's very difficult na pauwin po yung mga OFWs. I think, Let's continue and expand in po yung uh, degree of uh, prioritization na ginagawa ng diplomatic missions natin. And dami po sa Kuwait, for example, nananganak na dito, right? Nananganak na. Kasi close pa yung mga flights natin. Yeah. Nananganak na dito, yung iba mga senior citizens po na gustong umuwi, yet limited lang yung proportion ng mga OFWs na pwedeng umuwi. Imagine niyo po, 700,000 kami dito, 7,000, 800,000. 1,000 lang yung nag, nag-attempt na mag-avail ng repatriation. Right? Like 99.99%. They actually want to stay here and fight. And I think that's, that's good sa Philippines kasi nga it's less pressure at the moment, right? To accommodate sila. O paano pa if 50% of OFWs. My right? God, ma 1 million ba yan? <laughs> well, exactly. So where would you get your funds? Right? Where would you get these kind of funds? If you think about yung 50% ng mga OFWs in the Middle East, right? Can you repatriate, let's say, uh, 1.5 million OFWs, right? Is, is that your data? Ganyan kadami yung... No, no, no. Yung 2.3 yung legal na naka-recorded. But if okay. you add yung mga documented, let's say 3 million. So 1.5 million... That's for I mean, the entire MENA region? <laughs> Gulf, Gulf region. Gulf region. Gulf region lang yun, right? Okay. Hindi pa kasali din yung Lebanon, Georgia, yung ibang areas doon, right? It could be more, right? Now, it, it's a big issue sa atin kasi nga the moment na uuwi sila, yung unemployment sa atin will go up, right? Uh-huh. Unemployment, issues of yung social welfare, and it could also impact yung access ng mga bata sa schooling, sa public, public school, private schools yung consumption, etc. Kasi nga, wala nang padala. I mean, OFWs, they power our economy. Kaya yung galit ng mga OFWs po dito na, we sent 35 billion and all of a sudden, you're imposing a mandatory sales health. Sa kanila, <laughs> have we not done grabe enough? Na, grabe talaga yung saksak sa right. ano yung sales health. No, I think, uh, I think, nag-usap po kami kahapon with, you know, the, the Dr. Shirley, si, si Director Chona. 
I think we've seen yung logic naman eh. Napakaganda ng universal healthcare system. And I agree kay Dr. Domingo, let's not give up, right? Sa universal healthcare system. Siguro yung packaging at explanation lang. I think that was really, you know, uh, a difficult difficult one. And even after nung session na yun, uh, a lot of Filipinos, lalo na yung mga nagsafollow po sa right corridor, they're still trying to figure out yung mga key questions. Ano ba yung logic ng pagtaas ng field health? From 3%, 4%, 5%? And they're even asking me questions, bakit nga ba 3%? Right? Or uh, kapag ba meron akong magulang na, let's say, hindi siya senior citizen, like 50 years old, covered ba siya ng PhilHealth dito? Right? Or <coughs> ano ba yung benefits niya? Magkano yung uh, reimbursement na pwede kong gawin, let's say, mag-avail ako? Right? I mean, basic questions na, na ganito. Kasi naghahanap sila ng manual eh. Nasaan ba yung manual? Give us yung manual, right? Hindi lang yung bigyan yung kami ng, for example, yung uh, yung implementing guidelines or yung recent um, note, circular note na pinadala ng uh, ng ating gobyerno. They felt it, it was like a gun. So that's point. an uh, ano yun eh? Yun yung IRR, di ba? Implementing rules yes. and regulation. So yes, I think, actually, I think bad timing uh, talaga. It's bad absolutely timing. bad timing. But yeah, that but was think, already being discussed last year, pa. It's right. bigla lang bigla lang bigla lang bumulaga ulit, 'di ba? Yes, I I think I think yung issues of representation also came up, no? Kasi nga right. you have domestic Philippine based na OFW representatives plus yung mga OFW communities dito, there's a huge disconnect, no? And a lot of Filipinos here, they felt na walang gaano ng consultation. We were not properly informed. Kaya nandoon din dumalabas yung responsibilities ng OFW. Uh, you know, to vote wisely and to engage sa mga legal uh, policies na lumalabas sa ating bansa. But at the same time, it's very difficult to impose yung mga ganitong klaseng bagay kapag gutom yung tao. I mean, it's very tough. I mean, Filipinos are very giving, right? Kasi nga, if you look at yung solidarity component ng Universal Healthcare Act, if you contribute, right, you're also indirectly helping yung mga vulnerable groups sa atin, mga senior citizens, yung mga walang work, yung mga indigent, yung mga disabled. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure if you pass, if you implemented this at a time of economic prosperity, all of the should say, oh, that's not bad. Right? Yeah. That's not bad. Kasi may mga benefits naman. So, Dr. Yeah, Shirley, pagdating naman nila dito, makikinabang sila. <laughs> right. So, OFWs, according sa mga data ng PhilHealth, they actually, um, they claim more rather than contributed last year. So I think 1.7 yung na-claim nila, yung uh, 1.07 yata yung contribution nila. So clearly, you could see na may potential siya to help yung mga migrants, OFWs, na may dependents sa Pilipinas, hindi lang po na properly communicate. Kaya nga po yung gagawin namin sa Rights Corridor, we'll continue yung discussion na yun. And we need yung manual na yun. Kasi we just need yung facts na yun. Eh. And I think that would really help a lot of you. Pero given, ano na siya eh, medyo, di ba na... Na, na postpone na ng implementation ni presidente. So no, right now, no, 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 no. I would, I would correct you doon. So yung I vice bet. president mismo, no? Yung vice president na si Dr. Dilingo said, Malacanang has not sent an order to PhilHealth to what? stop yung implement. Yes. Yes. That was a big shocker sa akin. And Wait, I see Ricky Laksa. Release, ganon? Yes, I mean, Ricky Laksa even Baka na, na, na lang, na-delay lang yung, ano, yung order. No, they have not. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Ricky Laksa, yung JMA uh, news reporter po natin, and um, hello Ricky. Hi Ricky. Uh, sa Kuwait, he, he wrote an article, it, it came 
from Dr. Domingo. And yun yung big misconception kasi yung expectations po ng mga OFWs is nag-stop na. Tama, so, di ba sabi wrong. wala na? Wala no, muna? Wala muna? No. Di ba? According kay Dr. Domingo, yung Vice President ng Corporate Affairs ng PhilHealth, in effect, yung policy na yan. Oh, okay. So that's another issue siguro na pag-usapan natin because it's 9 o'clock here in Manila and I'm sure well, you're Of course. Free. No, I, I <laughs> But I ano, just re- just for the last ano, last uh question that I've been asking uh, you last week, mm-hmm. diba? Uh, sino-sino yung mga sectors among OFWs ang winners and losers? Mm-hmm. And what what ano, ano yung dapat expect ng mga ng mga families dito? Mm-hmm from their ano from their OFW families mm-hmm. there in the Middle East. I mean if you look at yung long term ito no it's going to be a tough one and it's very difficult to project kasi depending on the availability ng vaccines right and yung investors confidence and even yung capacity ng private sector to recover right sa mga Gulf countries remember the Gulf is actually the biggest employer for OFWs. So if you look at yung historical context ng UAE or Gulf countries and Philippines, yung corridor na to, um, they bounce back right away, right? Mapa nung 60s, 70s, tapos yung 2008. And I could also say the same thing, right? Yung region na to, it's a very ambitious region, right? They really want to take advantage yung, yung, ano, yung economic hub, yung position niya. It, it, it lies between the East and the West, no? It's yung advantage niya. And... And yung, if you look at yung mga economic plans nila, 2030, they're really committed to on and they're investing a lot. I mean, you can clearly see mga mega infrastructure projects nila and even yung mga initiatives nila kagaya ng World Cup, for example, in Dubai Expo. There's so many of these, right? And they've struggled and um, they struggled to finance yung mga projects in 2008, yet they were able to come back, no? They are. And I can predict the same thing. I mean, <coughs> they, they do have strong sovereign wealth funds. Uh, mga countries nito. And if you look at mga estimates and uh, mga studies dito, they could survive for another 100 years, right? Even without producing oil. That was, that was an estimate like three years ago. Now, maybe not so much in 100 years, maybe 50 or 60 years. Kasi nag change na rin yung geopolitics of region. Now, to answer yung question nyo, <coughs> what can we expect, right? So, yung winners, siguro yung some sa medical sector, specifically okay. mga nurses natin, right? Nurses? So, marami ba tayong Filipino nurses dyan sa region? Yes, marami po tayo dito. Uh-oh. So, dalawang klaseng nurses dito, yung mga nag-work sa quarantine, mga public hospitals versus yung mga nag-work sa mga clinics, right? So, yung opportunities na nag-work, uh, hello, Paolo uh, and Mitch, yung mga nurses na kakilala ko po uh, sa Dubai, um, may mga hello offers po. sila. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they... Maganda yung offer sa mga quarantine spaces if you want to work there. But it's also very risky. So I've been posting a lot of OFW nurses na namamatay. So mataas yung salary, for example, kung may experience ka dito at may license ka, you're looking at mga four or $5,000, right? Plus, plus. Or kung wala ka namang license dito but you have yeah, nursing experience, pero license sa Pilipinas, mga $2,000-something, uh, dollar, mga $2,500. So, yung, yung demand sa kanila is very hard doon, right? Pero yung problema, nag-close din yung maraming clinics, right? So, as a result, yung mga small clinics, small and medium-sized clinics na ganito, um, lahat ng mga nurses, they're either pupunta sa ibang market or sa mga quarantine spaces. Kaya, napupuresa rin yung iba na mag-work din. Uh, kasi nga, maganda yung incentive. It's a good opportunity. Yet, very risky din. So, 
they're struggling to balance in yon. Uh, so yung market ko on, it's gonna go up, especially in the future. If you look at yung sa mga Western countries, they're now and yon, um, slightly opening yung mga markets nila and reducing yung mga barriers for Filipinos to come in, especially in South America. So it's gonna be a big and interesting uh, dynamic in the future. Uh, and how can Gulf countries incentivize no, you mga nurses or medical professionals? Because they have to compete with Western countries para contain right? Yung proportion of mga nurses and doctors that they need here um, <coughs> in the future. Now, sa mga ibang sectors, sa kasambahay, yes, tuloy pa po kasi families depend um, heavily sa mga kasambahay dito. So if you look at infertility rate for Gulf countries, mataas. I think um, three children no, per family yon. And yung most Gulf countries, they rely sa mga Filipino domestic workers, sa mga ibang nationalities, pero most preferred po sa mga uh, Filipino workers. So if you look at yung Gulf okay, employers... Okay, ito lang trabaho yung mga employers? Yes. Sa parinila ng BH? Kasi relative sa GDP per capita nila, yung wage scale is very low. Mura lang. Right? $400. The perspective ng employers. Right? It's very, very like low cost sa kanila. So, yung demand sa kanila, it's, it's still there. Pero very risky din kasi nga, they're quite cautious na yun, mga employer. Pero wala silang magawa kasi nga, they've always been dependent sa mga kasambahay po. And if you look at yung, you have yung expatriate employers, mga westerners, and some Filipino families, and yung mga Gulf employers, they still depend sa mga kasambahay. So, constant so kasi yung fertility rate still high. And then yung sa nursing sector, is still good. Tapos yung mga ibang kasambahay naman, they ended up working sa mga cleaning companies. Specifically yung sa mga uh, ginawang uh, quarantine areas. Right? So let's just shift right? yung mga job options for Filipinos. And yung iba, they're more likely going to take it kasi nga po, you have to survive. I mean, you have to fight harder. Siguro yung magiging challenge just sa mga skilled kasi yung mga multinational companies, yung iba nag-shut down na, nag-umalis na, nag-layoff na ng mga workers. So yung, you can clearly see... Um, and issues of de-skilling, no? They're more likely to take uh, jobs na, na less in qualification, less in sahod, but they just need to survive in the short run. And then for the majority po, yung mga nag-work sa mga construction, sa mga hospitality, uh, marami na rin yung mga unemployment problems. But I can assure you that a lot of them, even without savings, no? They will continue to, uh, no, fight harder kasi nga, yung choices sa Pilipinas is much Lari worse. Trabaho. Right. Yeah. I'm not gonna look at yung pamilya ko ng walang trabaho, walang mangyari sa amin, right? But here, at least they can maneuver yung informal and yung formal market. Kaya yung informal market ngayon, yung mga nagbebenta ng pagkain, yung mga nagpa-part-time sa mga ibang area, yun yung giging, before that was optional eh. Ngayon, it's basically like a primary source of income. Kasi nga, na-layoff na sila sa mga trabaho nila. And they need ways to survive. And I, I hope in Senate, they really understand yung survival struggles among OFW before they say these things sa kanila. They say what Filipinos are saying, we're not being morally supported there. It's okay if you don't help us. Just, just sabihin nyo lang sa amin. Right? Just clear lang. <laughs> sa kanila. No, others do need a lot of support. Talaga, they do. But sa kanila, yung para bang <coughs> klaruhin nyo na lang. Kasi lalo na po yung mga yung mga nag-work sa mga uh, secondary market, um, yung mga low income na mga kababayan natin, struggle talaga. I mean, a lot of them would say, um, kailangan na namin yung ACAP, yung short-term economic relief. 
But at the same time, yung mga polo Dubai po natin, they're struggling kasi nga, konti lang yung budget and they have to really prioritize kasi they have to wait sa central government. So yung expectation sa central office, ang taas, so right? So high, right. At dito, medyo late yung implementation kasi nga po yung budget nawawala pa. So they expect a lot. Kaya you could clearly see mga tensions that you've, that you've seen recently, for example, dito, sa OWA natin dito sa Dubai. I mean, Partly because of that po. I mean, they're bound to face all these conflicts. Kasi it's like throwing a bone, right? 150,000. Yet you have <coughs> millions of OFWs. It's going to create chaos. And at the same time, it's a big challenge sa gobyerno natin. How can you actually balance it all? They're not prepared. Pero at the same time, they also have to realize that na, um, you, you know, in rhetoric, the modern day heroes, how do you actually uphold? yung mga statements sa ganyan at a time of... Actually, uh, more than the... Uh, more than that, ano, that image of being modern-day heroes. Mm-hmm. Ang importante is paano makaka-survive, diba? It's more mm-hmm. about survive, mm-hmm. survival ngayon ng ano, eh, mga... OFWs. OFWs natin, wherever. Especially may mga family dito. People, you have this rising middle class OFW families dito. Right? Mga may engineers, nurses, etc. They built families here. First generation, second generation ng mga anak. And now they have to go home, yung iba. I think yung lalabon talaga is mga single migrants, eh. Right? Lalabon talaga sila. But those with families, the, the cost is much higher. Right? So yung OFW na family migrants, most Lalo likely may iwan, isa, dalawa. Right? They have to go home. Uh-huh. And remember, they've been studying here sa mga international schools, etc. And alam niyo, yung, yung Senate in Congress natin, they need to realize yung different kinds, typologies of OFWs. Yung mga single, sa mga may family, yung mga legal, sa di-legal, yung mga klase ng work, yung, yung may dependent sa Philippines, yung walang dependent. Like, kaya yung nilabas yung PhilHealth talaga, OFWs were upset kasi nga, it did not take into account yung context, right? In different types of OFWs. Kaya, if you ask me ngayon, who's likely to go home first? Well, of course, you may mga OFW families. Tama. Yung mga may savings. I'm saying yung mga may savings, right? Kasi, it's a question more you ask me about yung financial behavior and like consumption. Well, let me tell you this. I mean, some of the officials are saying before na Filipinos are loved dito, not because they just work hard, etc., etc., but yung consumption natin, pataas, right? Yeah. Filipinos spend. Consumers. You want to live decently, <laughs> properly, yes. Pero ngayon, <laughs> Pagsakin consumption, kasi nga, survival mode, most OFWs. So instead na kumain ka sa, let's say, Jollibee or sa McDonald's, magluluto ka na lang sa bahay. And you have to think twice when you spend na yon. And I know yung mga, um, there are different groups. So what you're saying is I, those who have uh, emergency fund, those who have savings can stay. They can float, but the question is for how long can you float, how, right? Because how uh, they also have debt to consider, lalo mga five six. Uh, madami pong may mga five six dito. They have to take that into account. Tapos yung mga mga utang sa mga loans, they have to also factor that in. Uh, I know yung mga government and non-government organizations here. So yung Polo Dubai, um, they've been holding a lot, and even yung uh, consulate natin, they and even sa Abu Dhabi, no, yung uh, Pinoy Wise. So, and yung Ateneo, yung financial literacy program nila, they've been trying to educate, no? Yung mga OFWs, yung mga uh, crisis regulator, yung mga saving strategies, entrepreneurial strategies, etc., etc. But, 
it's hard to do all of that ngayon kasi nga there's really no money at the moment so there's no point of ano yun, upholding yung mga financial literacy ngayon but I think in the long right. run these things need to be enough uh, emphasized a bit more so in times of crisis OFWs will be able to strategize yung uh, behavior nila and even yung mga plans nila and in the past I mean siguro not just OFWs but also other nationalities they I mean, they really assume that life goes on, right? right. And it's going to be okay. But ngayon, it's, a, it's a different scenario. And you have to think twice. I mean, I also took loans, right? For example, right? And buti na lang, I mean, I was able to pay them off. like Before the pandemic? Years, yes, before the pandemic. Because I knew you risk, Good. right? But yung others, I mean, it, it, it could be, a, a, you know, it's going to be a big challenge for them. And a lot of them be, are struggling to sleep at night, no? are struggling to even uh, eat properly or even engage sa mga kaibigan nila kasi nga yung mga banks, they're calling them all the time. Yet, yung consulate natin or embassy, they have no role to play kasi nga, that's a private matter. No? <coughs> yung mga loans na yon, they can only offer legal advice, legal assistance, but in terms of settling mga disputes na yon, it's very difficult kasi walang fund doon kasi yung mga funds are specifically for vulnerable uh, OFWs. Kaya it's a big challenge talaga. Kaya if you anchor yung last part nito, yung repatriation niya, yung mga vulnerable ones, right? Plus yung mga OFWs who, you know, would voluntarily return home. Voluntarily. And remember, a thousand lang yon, A thousand sa 800,000 na Pilipinos sa UAE lang yon. You can clearly see they want to fight. They want to, you know what I mean? They want to stay uh, sa Gulf countries and even try to survive sa informal markets. Um, at, at least in Dubai, for example, in the, it's partially open, the work na po yung iba. But for how long? Kasi Ramadan ngayon, right? So, anong mangyayari after Ramadan? They might close it again. So, the more you extend yung lockdown, the more you increase yung suffering ng mga OFWs. Kasi nga, pag nag-lockdown, 24-hour lockdown, walang work, walang income. Yet, yung bayaran sa bahay, stable, mataas. Binawasan yung sahod, Ito yung, ito yung sa bahay, binawasan yung sahod, right? Plus pa yung padala. So, who will actually survive? Kaya nga, I'm, I'm also very surprised. Like, how do mga kababayan natin survive? And remember, yung, yung, <coughs> yung resilience ng mga kababayan po natin to survive, I mean, it's, it's, it's very admirable, but yet it's something that, you know, our government needs to really think about, no? Lala sa mga legislative process na to. Kasi nga, as I said kanina, They just need yung, ano, yung moral support na lang. I mean, if you can't really help them, alam mo yun, just wag na lang yung mga rhetoric kasi it just creates more political ano, uh, tension and confusion sa mga OFWs and it's not okay. Lalo na ngayon, mentally distressed lahat ng mga kababayan po natin. It's, it's not acceptable. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, Froylan. That was oh, really... Oh, thank you. Yeah. No, I wish you could say more, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Parang isang oras, ano na, sobrang siksik yeah. at you sobrang I hope they do have some questions. I mean, I don't know if... if I was Yeah, I would like to read them before. all, pero uh, we're, I think, nag-overtime na tayo na one hour and most of us, okay. baka ikaw marami ka na rin kailangan natapusin. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, I mean, it's always a pleasure. Yung sa akin lang talaga is, uh, if if we're gonna prioritize and protect him all of somebody's, I think let's start with the most vulnerable ones and that's exactly what our consulate is doing ngayon. And I think yung Senate natin, yung gobyerno natin, 
for the things that are population, they really need to think twice before they say those words. It has to be uh, morally new, offensive uh, to mga OFWs. And for the things mga funds, you have to walk the talk, no? And if you say it now, expect to deliver it in a few days, but not in weeks. Kasi nga po, mahirapan din yung mga implementing agencies kagaya ng Polo Dubai or in Polo Kuwait, Polo Qatar. I mean, they will face major, major struggles. And, and that will create a lot of uh, political struggles. Online. Okay, so yung expectation yung reputation. Reality, of course. No? Right. I think you need to be very klaruhin lang. And, and Filipinos are, all of WS are very smart. They know. They know how to, they know how to cope, no? Diretrain mo lang. I think yun yung, yung siguro yung last point to doon. And I know it's not, it's not an easy time. Um, <clears throat> but, If you look at young history, if you look at how OFW survived the crisis na to, mapa Libya, mapa Iraq, uh, mapa Kuwait, mapa Lebanon, uh, we bounce back, no? And right. I'm still hopeful na uh, laban lang, be, yeah. no? Laban lang. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Roy, and for all Maraming our po, yeah. viewers today, uh, salamat po for taking time. This is uh, Usapang CQ. I hope next week we'll have another one session Uh, ano naman, Usapang CQ sa Japan, okay, with Professor Michael Cortez. Thank you, thank you very much for Thank you, yeah, yeah, thank you. Guest. Salamat po, hindi ko kayo, hindi ko na mabasa ang mga comments. Next time na lang po. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ingat po. Bye-bye. Yeah. Ingat po. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or via RSS. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. And if you want to know more, check out www.guerillapodcast.com.au or guerillapodcast.com.ph. Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate Production. We are Independent Podcast Network. We are Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate. Would you like to hear your brand while supporting quality podcasts? Contact us now at advertise at guerrillapodcastsyndicate.com. Are you ready to finally start your own podcast? Maybe you already have one, but need a podcast manager to help you level up. We're here for either. Book a call at www.kangroofern.com www.kangaroofern.com